So I brought up the phrase, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. In our culture, we have a clear preference for the joys and not the sorrows, for a life that figures out how to bypass the sorrows, the challenges, the pains, the hurts, and just become the pleasure ride. And if we can't get that, then we think something's wrong. And the beauty of this practice is an invitation back to our wholeness, which is, of course, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. There is no such thing as being human without that connection. And when we don't embrace that in our attempt for the pleasure ride, for just the joys, it's so interesting to notice what we end up doing is shooting ourselves in the foot over and over and over by trying to bypass the other or get rid or not be with. So I shared the story, um, the old Buddhist story of the two arrows. Uh, I think all of y'all know it, but just in case, the very short version, the Buddha asked a student, does it hurt to be shot by an arrow? The student says, yes. And the Buddha says, does it hurt to be shot more by one arrow or two arrows? And the student says, two. So the Buddha says, yes. The first arrow is unavoidable. The second arrow is how we shoot ourselves in response to the first arrow. That second arrow, how we shoot ourselves in response to the first arrow, is in essence a rejection of the pain of the first arrow. It's an attempt at protection, yes, at some means of getting away from whether it's a fight reaction or a flight reaction or even a freeze reaction, it is some sort of survival-based attempt to get away from the pain, a contraction against or away from. And of course we contract. I mean, of course we do. That's like, that's, that's so natural. And in one scheme of things, it's actually appropriate, totally appropriate. If I put my finger in a flame and it burns, I want to remember that hurts and that pain. So I get too close to putting my finger in it again and I contract back and I withdraw and I don't burn myself again. It's a really healthy, right reaction to withdraw from pain when it is a pain that it actually works to protect us from by withdrawing, such as putting my hand back into a, a flame. 
in terms of our emotional hurts, our emotional pains, so many other ways that we carry wounds and suffering in our lives, that contraction can be counterproductive. And sometimes it's the best we got. So I just always want to name that. I have two examples of it that I want to share um, around this. One is, I think it's actually tonight, I'm not sure, uh, but in today or the next couple of days, Netflix is airing a new documentary called American Symphony. Don't know how many of y'all are familiar with the musician John Baptiste. <gasps> yeah, yeah, okay. If you're not familiar with him, just like notice the reaction that went around the circle. He is someone worth knowing what he does because his music is totally alive, joyous, um, full, um, worth feeling in the body. And his wife, I haven't read any of her uh, works, but I, someone last night said that she purposefully reads everything. Uh, Sulita jo Johan, I'm not saying her last name right. Um, everything she writes, uh, she is known as a very, very powerful writer, uh, creative artist in her way. What's interesting about their story is they know something about the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows together, interwoven in a way that not many of us have those moments of the high and the low coming right on each other. So last, I think it was last year, uh, John Baptiste got nominated for 11 Grammy Awards. On the same day that he received his nomination for 11 Grammy Awards, he helped check Salita into the hospital for her round of her first round of chemotherapy for her cancer that had come back after 10 years in remission. The 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. To have both of those things side by side is an unveiling of the truth of life. So in preparation for this documentary that's coming out, which the title comes from uh, his first symphony that John Baptiste wrote, and it's debuted at Carnegie Hall, NPR had an interview with the two of them. And when I read it, there were lots of things in it that, that were um, just beautiful. But one piece of it that I thought I would share was them talking about um, this, this reality of the high and the lows coming side by side right together and how creativity actually formed a way that they together met this. And so for Salika, um, she named 
that at one point she was having these terrifying night terrors and nightmares that were enhanced even more by the medications that she was on. And here's what she says about it. And rather than being held captive by them, I decided to transcribe them in the form of these paintings. And that's what I love so much about the creative arts. You get to alchemize any moment and turn it into something of your own. Turn it into something meaningful, maybe even beautiful. And it's a way, you know, of putting your stamp on an experience and ensuring that you are not bested by it. So the interviewer said, I think for so many people, there's a tendency to want to numb out in moments that are so hard. The hard, the first moment, the numb out, the second arrow, the first arrow, the second arrow, there it is. And her answer, it's very tempting to just shut your brain down and to disengage from whatever is happening. But I know from experience that we can't stow the most painful parts of our lives or our past. They always have a way of not only coming back up to the surface, but often coming back up with 10 times the strength they had. And so I've learned that as uncomfortable as it might be, as frightening as it might be, to engage with whatever is most difficult is the most efficient way of moving through it and finding out what's on the other side. Reading that brought back the poem I shared a week ago or whenever that was from Rumi a thousand years ago. Trust your wound to a teacher's surgery. Flies collect on a wound. They cover it. Those flies of your self-protecting feelings. Your love for what you think is yours. Let a teacher wave away the flies and put a plaster on the wound. Don't turn your head. Keep looking at the bandaged place. That's where the light enters you. And don't believe for a moment that you're healing yourself. Flies collect on a wound. They cover it, those flies of your self-protecting feelings. That sentence brings up a very visceral memory for me that I hope you don't mind sharing, but we live in such a sanitized world from the reality of these bodies that I think it's useful to remember the physicality of wounds. So when I was in India, yeah, I can't even think how many years ago now, almost 30, um, working with missionaries of charity, one man 
came in one time with this just awful wound on his arm, open wound, uh, that had maggots in it. And so a sister and I were cleaning this out. I had never seen anything like this before and was having kind of my, oh my gosh, <laughs> sort of reaction. And the sister very practically looked at me and she said, no, Lindsay, you have it all wrong. This wound will be okay. Because you'll see when we get this cleaned up that the maggots made sure that there was no deeper gangrene or infection that was allowed to grow into it. It, kept, it will have kept it clean. And when we cleaned it all out, it was a clean wound. And by that time, I had seen wounds that did have gangrene. And it was kind of remarkable to see that this was a clean wound at that point. Rumi obviously didn't live in that sanitized world of ours and knew this as a metaphor. Flies collect on a wound, they cover it. Those flies of your self-protecting feelings. There is so much wisdom in that. If you don't clean the wound out, get the maggots out, it won't go well. But as a temporary, that was a whole lot better than some of the other wounds I saw. Don't rue your survival strategies. Sometimes they are the best we have but they'll never allow us to deeply heal. We need the teacher's hand to wave away the flies so that a real healing can come. And we do this slowly. We do this with care. Sometimes we have the wherewithal of uh, Sulika Jahan, Jaal, Jaal. Um, and we're just ready. And we can open ourselves to what is here. And like there is this alchemy that does happen. It's stunning when you find what is underneath the first arrow that can be healing, remarkably healing. And yet if we just dive in head first when we're not in the place that that's ready, we can take ourselves down. <laughs> so what is the way of practicing this looking at the wounds, the bandaged place that has care, has compassion? Typically, we need to start, start with the small stuff. What's the small irritating trigger for you? It's okay to say, okay, right here. This is where I want to look at the wound. What's going on with this? How do I open myself? Rain, rain practice, R-A-I-N, is a stunningly good way to help walk through that with care and, and patience. How do we keep practicing on the little stuff so that we build that muscle so that when it is our turn, which, you know, we all know something about, 
and we will all know more about it. We're ready. We have that sense of this too. Part of the whole life. And all of it, all of it matters. Frederick Buechner. See your life for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the pain and the boredom of it. No less than the gladness and excitement. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden part of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is grace. May we all find our path to knowing the wholeness that is already here that includes the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys in a way that is healing for ourselves, for each other, and for this world. Thank you.